0: Thank you for listening to the official podcast of everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis let 's listen in as we hear a powerful message from god 's word. Have you ever watched the news or read an article where they added the the tagline to the end our thoughts and our Prayers are with the family or the community, or the city, or the town. You know, I, I don't know the exact origin of that phrase when it became popular, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt that at first it was sincere. There was an acknowledgement that, hey, uh, something bad has happened. Life can be harsh. Life can be tough. And, and something supernatural needs to take place. So we're going to pray. We'll, we'll think about it, but we're also going to pray about it. We're going to assume that, that there is a supernatural help that is necessary in times of hardness, okay? Life can be tough, and so our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Now, of course, uh, I've seen that phrase come under attack in our culture as of late. In the last couple of years, you, people... We'll post or, or say our thoughts and our prayers are with this community after this tragic event. And I've seen people say, forget your thoughts and prayers. We just want action, right? And there's kind of been a little bit of an attack on that. And then even this week, I couldn't believe it. I guess I should believe it, but I was actually kind of surprised by this. But there was this organization, this business that uh, lost a journalist. A journalist passed away far too young and and as a a very sad uh, occurrence. And so they were talking about the passing, the death of this journalist. And then they tweeted this exact phrase, our thoughts are with his family and friends. Our thoughts are with his family and friends. Now, what does that tell you? Tells you they don't think prayer is important, right? Prayer is now no longer a part of that phrase. It's no longer our thoughts and prayers. We don't even want to hint at or even indicate that there would be any kind of supernatural faith to this or any kind of activity to this event. So we're just gonna be very safe and say, our thoughts are with them, but we will sure aren't praying. And I don't mean to slam that situation because it's a hard situation and it's a sad situation, but what they're communicating speaks volumes. It says they don't care about prayer or they don't think prayer works, I think if we were honest, there, there are people in this room, there are people online who would say, you know, I know I'm supposed to pray. I know that I should, but you fail to pray and you don't pray often because if you were honest, you would say, you don't believe it works either. You would be saying, my thoughts are there, but my prayers aren't there either. And I get it. I understand the dilemma because life can be tough and, and there might have been a, a, a season where you were really praying for something earnestly. It was something that was on your heart and it was a very fair request of God in your mind. It wasn't that you were saying, God, please give me a, a, a banking error where a million dollars come to my account. You weren't praying that. It was that there was someone sick in your family, it was a friend, it was a family member. and there, It was something that you really thought, like, this would be great, God, if you would just step in and heal this. And God didn't. In fact, things got worse. And it was in that moment that your prayer life flatlined. It died. It ended. Now, you might still pray here and there every once in a while, but you're not getting down on your knees and seeking God. Because in your mind, like God's going to do whatever he wants anyway. And so there's no business for me to really pray because I've been down that path before and I got hurt, I got let down. God didn't answer my prayer, but in reality, God didn't answer it how you want it. He heard your prayer, but it didn't go as you desired. And I get it. Sometimes when we pray and we get what we want, we think it's great. And when we pray and we don't get what we want, we think it's broken. Well, today, what I want to do is, I want to go through a couple different passages and I want to help us understand what the Bible actually teaches about praying. I want us to understand the essentials of prayer. Now, there are lots of, of essentials in the scripture, really, but I want to kind of tie them into four today. And I want you to remember these because I want it to be a guide in your prayer life. These are four essential characteristics of prayer that I want you to put in your phone, put on a tablet, write it down, mascara if you got it, blood if you need to, whatever, okay? Anyone got mascara that you want to, Matt, do you bring yours? You can maybe pass it around in your purse. Okay, Jason, you got it. All right, thank you. All right, but get these down, okay? I want you to write these down. I want you to have these. These are the four essentials of prayer. They all start with the letter P to help us remember them today. But the first essential of prayer is posture. Now, I'm going to go through a bunch of different verses and passages, and it, it might be hard to kind of turn there unless you're really fast and you can swipe or you can find them. If it, at minimum, write them down. Okay, and so I won't have time to kind of pause and let you find them all. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to go to Matthew 6. I'm going to be in Daniel. I'm going to be in different places. But in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul mentions something very specific as he's praying for some believers. So let me read this. Write it down. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Verse 19. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now this is a beautiful prayer. And I would encourage you as you pray and uh, to pray through the Bible. As you read and, and there are passages like this, just pray that for yourself, pray that for others. God, I pray that I would understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. God, I pray that for my spouse. I pray that for my kids. I pray that for my family. Okay, pray the word of God. But this is a beautiful prayer. Paul is just asking for these believers to be strengthened. He's asking that they would ultimately better know and understand and grasp the love of Christ. It is a comforting prayer. I want him praying that for me. right, and I pray that for you. But there's something interesting at the beginning of the prayer that Paul let us know. He tells us his physical posture when he's praying this. Did you catch that? What did he say? He said, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. It was important for Paul to let us know that when he's praying this for them, he's, he's kneeling. He's bowing. He has humbled himself before God to fall on his face, to kneel, to bow before God as he prays this prayer over them. Now, it reminds me a lot of Daniel, actually. One of our Old Testament heroes, when Daniel, he was known as a person of prayer. And when the king made an edict and said, no one can pray to anyone except me. No one can pray to God, which it was all a trick and it's a long story, but it was unlawful. Uh, And Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he still went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. What did he do? He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So here's one of our heroes of the faith, Daniel and the lion's in. We got Daniel. He's, he it, it lets us know his posture. He's getting down on his knees and praying. So we see Paul, we see Daniel. We see in scripture this idea to bow or to be prostrate or to, to kneel before the Father. That is the posture that these men had. That makes me ask the question, when is the last time you bowed for anything? When's the last time you bowed as a sign of humbleness, humility, submission? Typically, we don't bow. We don't use that term. Sometimes maybe like an actor on a stage or performer, they would bow to receive the applause, right? Here we see bow as a form of like, I, I submit or I bow down, I I. I get on my knees to recognize you as the higher authority, as the one in control. Tragically, I heard this story this week about that football player that lost it and tried to kill his girlfriend. I don't know if you heard the story. Allegedly, he uh, snapped, and, and, but the, the genesis of this whole altercation was him telling this girlfriend to bow to him. And she said, no, 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 I'm not bowing to you. And he tried to kill her. Allegedly, bipolar, not taking medicine, snapped all over this instance. Now, in her mind, she's like, I'm not going to, I'm imagining that, why would I bow to you? Because I know what that means. I'm not, you are not my king. You are not the one to rule and control me. But when we come to God in prayer and, and we bow, we are signifying, hey, I'm here to please you. You are the boss. We're very careful who we let be our boss, right? And when we bow to God, we are declaring, you are the one that has all authority. It is your commands that I want to follow. And so I want to encourage you this week, bow. To literally have your posture be one of humbleness and humility that you would get down on your knees and kneel before the Father in prayer. Now, is it a requirement to kneel, bow in prayer? No. It's not a requirement. I've led thousands of prayers standing. Joel was just standing as he prayed and we said, you know what, Joel, that's okay with us. Right? We haven't said it is required for us to always bow and kneel before the Father. Well, Jesus once used a tax collector as a hero of a story. And we see how this tax collector, the hero, prayed. Luke 18, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. He's standing but he's not looking up because he's humble, but he is standing as he prayed. Instead, what he did is he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, who was uh, arrogant, returned home justified before God for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so the issue isn't necessarily a literal standing or kneeling. The true issue is our emotional posture. That's why the tax collector went home justified, because he did humble himself. Now, his physical posture was still standing, but he couldn't look up to heaven. He beat his chest and said, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I need you. The Pharisee was like, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy, and was acting all high and mighty, while the tax collector was humble of heart. So it's not about a literal standing or kneeling When it comes to posture though we must make sure our hearts are bowed in submission to God. Your posture should be one of humbleness. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And so we don't want to be in the opposition phase to God, we want to receive grace. We want to present ourselves humble. And so the posture that we must carry must be one of emotional posture of saying, I bow to you in my heart and my spirit to say, you alone are my authority. You're the boss, you're in control. Now, sometimes your physical posture needs to lead out on your emotional posture. And sometimes you need to just get on your knees so that it correlates with the emotion that you're trying to portray or to declare to God. Now, is it required? No. I just don't want to be legalistic about it, but I do want to say we need to be very careful in how we approach God, and it needs to be of humble heart. Our posture must be humble, but that's not the only aspect of prayer. Here's another essential place. We have posture and we have place. And this seems strange, but there is a right place to pray and a wrong place to pray. Now, Matthew chapter 6, if you want to find it, right before the Lord's Prayer, which we covered last week, Jesus is teaching on prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he teaches this He says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, Go away by yourself, shut the doors behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So Jesus is giving a a master class on prayer. He starts it off sounding like a realtor. Location, location, location. Jesus says, where you pray is important. Where you go to pray is important. Now, of course, you can pray at any time, in any place, anywhere. But Jesus does say, okay, there's this good place to pray and there's a bad place to pray. Now, the reason isn't because there's something supernatural about one physical place over another. His focus is on the motive of the space you choose to pray. The motive behind the place. This is key. Not the literal place, but the motive. Jesus mentions the first place of prayer for the hypocrite. The street corner and synagogue okay, where they would meet to worship. The corner and the place you had me to worship, the synagogue. Now, hypocrite was a common term for uh, an actor. And so Jesus is specifically addressing a group of people that wanted to act religious, he, who, who wanted to perform in front of other people so that other people would see how spiritual, quote-unquote, or religious that they were. And so they would be very public with their prayers, and they would pray these grandiose public prayers more as a performance, And so the motive was, look at me, look at me, look at this amazing prayer, look how religious I am, look how spiritual I am. I'll do this publicly on the street corner so that other passerbys can see how awesome I am. I'll do this in the place of worship so all these other people will be jealous of my amazing prayers. The motive was impure. And Jesus says, those type of people, they're gonna get a reward. But the reward falls short of the best reward, this reward for these people is just praise from others. That's all they're going to get. If you're a people pleaser, you have the trap to fall into this, like because you, you like the attaboy, boy, ad atta girl, and that's a wrong place to be in. That's the wrong motive. But that's what these people are going to get. They're going to get the hey, wow, you are so spiritual, and you can fool people that way. It is tragic, but you can you can post on Facebook all day about how spiritual you are, and you will fool some people. But what's your motive? Is it to get the, hey, look at me, 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 look at me? Or is it, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him? There's a difference in those two statements. What's your motive? Is it about you trying to get that reward? Well, your place is going to help determine that. Now, Jesus isn't against all public praying. Don't get this twisted. This is not what this passage teaches, and some people try to abuse that and say, well, you can't pray publicly. No. In the New Testament, we have recorded for us times when Jesus prayed out loud. So he's not against public praying. He is against pretentious praying. You can pray publicly that would edify the body, that would build up believers, that would be good for your faith family to do together. But if you're pretentious and it's all about you and impressing people, you, you've missed what prayer is about. Prayer is a personal and intimate conversation with God. But even in that time with God through prayer, you can bless others. In fact, John, in and, and, and the story of Lazarus, Jesus prayed out loud. Okay, let me read this. John 11, verse 41. This is at the tomb of Lazarus. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven Okay, he's looking up, this is a prayer, and he says, Father, he's, remember he taught us to say, our Father who art in heaven, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. So Jesus, he, he prayed out loud on occasion, and he did that for God to get the glory out of it. And so the place doesn't always have to be all by ourselves. But our prayer should always be done with the intention of truly connecting with God and not for the attention of others. The purpose should be to connect with the Father, not to receive attention from others. Now, for most of us, what does our prayer life look like? I don't think a lot of us are doing a a good enough job of trying to carve out time from our schedule to have an intimate connection with God. Most of us are just praying on the run what I would call prayer grenades. We just lob one up before we go into the meeting. We lob one up before we go to the doctor. We lob one up as we go through an intersection and there's the crazy person. We're just lobbing up prayer grenades. And that's the only part of our prayer life. If that's the only part of our prayer life, we're falling short. Now, is it okay to pray like that? Of course we're to pray consistently, to pray daily, to pray all the time. We've talked about these things. Pray without ceasing. But you got to admit, a relationship is different when you intentionally set aside, uh, set aside time for someone. Isn't it different then? You're not just lobbing a hello back and forth. But when you say, hey, listen, I'm clearing off my Monday. We're going to hang out. We're going to spend some time together. Maybe you can't do a Monday, but the morning the afternoon, the evening. We're going to intentionally set aside time so we can connect. There's something different about that relationship than I'll see you if I see you, right? So the place is important that we would set aside the time and get in that place where our motive is to connect with God. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says that hypocrite gets, the hypocrite gets a reward, but did you see also those who pray in private? Look what he said. He says, then, here's the reward. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, the Greek word here is repay. And you might think, well, that's what I want. I want to be repaid. I want to spend this time so I get what I want. That's my reward. No, that's not the reward. The reward isn't getting everything you want. That's not the reward. And thankfully for us, there's a better reward. The reward is that the God who sees you in, in secret, the God who sees you intentionally carving out time, giving up time, sacrificing time to spend with him, way more than just lobbing up the prayer grenade on the run, the God of the universe is going to take notice. The reward is the relationship. Your relationship will be deeper and more intimate, just as if you were talking with a person and you set aside time for them to spend with them. When you do that with God, the reward is your relationship with him will be marked with closeness and connection. Don't you want that? Don't you want people to say, man, she's close with God? Don't you want people to say, man, that that man is close with God? Now, is that, again, the motive isn't so people say that. But it will be noticed. Most importantly, it will be noticed by God. The reward will be a, more, a closer relationship with Him. The connection grows when we decide to spend time with God on a regular basis. And if we don't carve out that time, we're going to miss it. It'll be superficial. It'll still be a relationship, but it'll be superficial. Spend the time with Him in the right place, the right motive in the right posture. The next key or essential in praying is phrasing, phrasing. I don't want to scare you with this because it's not what you think about, oh, I got to say the right thing. No, it's not about that, actually. Right after a place, Jesus talks about the place in Matthew 6. He says this, verse 7, Matthew 6, 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again and again and again and again. again. That was just for emphasis. Verse 8, don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. This simply means when you talk with God, just be self-aware to know what you're praying Don't mindlessly say things over and over hoping to force God to answer you, to manipulate him, to try to manipulate him. This idea is to have a genuine conversation with God, not to throw up empty words or try to produce some sort of magic formula that he becomes a, a red box machine. That if you push the right buttons, then you'll get the movie that you want. No, it's to be in relationship with him and to be aware of the conversation and to allow even God to speak to you. The truth is we can't manipulate God. There is no manipulation of him. And so we don't even have to come and and pretend to to be someone we're not and to come up with, to conjure up the most holiest voice that we can. Oh, Lordeth up above us. Have you ever, this is not a judgy prayer thing, but I have been with people and then they talk and then all of a sudden they pray, they turn into a whole different person. Oh, Lord, th- up above, their voice even drops. God Almighty, thine is the kingdom forever. <laughs> like, you don't have to shout so God hears you, right? It's just, just man, God knows exactly who you are, where you are, who you be. Just communicate with him. Talk to him normally. It's a relationship. No one wants to hang around with someone that is one way with one person and then another way with you. You want the real deal, holy fill. And so with God, sometimes it's, it's about your phrasing is to be quiet and not try to fill the space with empty words and let him speak to you and to communicate with you. And so the big picture in praying is less to do with you getting stuff and more about focusing on the Savior. God wants an intimate relationship with you more than anything. And so just be real. Don't worry about how messy you think your prayer is. It's not about having the perfect phrasing. It's about being real with God. Your prayer might be messy, but messy and real is better than pleasant and phony. Just be real. I love what J.I. Packer said about Prayer. We'll put this quote on the screen. He says, God fixes our prayers on the way up. <laughs> Praise the Lord, he does. If he does not answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer we should have made. Just If you're just real and transparent before him, that is gonna be way better than you trying to manipulate God because we do that with people. If you've ever been in sales, whew, you, you know there's things you can do. But when it, listen, with God, you gotta turn all that off. And just come to him humbly. And and don't worry about the perfect phrasing. And just be genuine and real. Pray. Now the last one uh, is key in all of this. I want to make sure we hit this today. The last essential that I want to cover. The fourth one is persistence. Persistence. Evidently the disciples noticed. That prayer was the source of Jesus power. So they straight up they said. Lord, teach us to pray. They could have asked him anything. They could have said, Hey, Jesus, how do we walk on water? Like that was pretty cool. How do we do that? Or hey, Jesus, this water to wine deal, like, whoa. Now, some of you that have been your go-to. I know you. But they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jessica just confessed. Thank you for confessing, Jessica. They said, teach us to pray. And then he gave this example, the Lord's Prayer again. We talked about that last week. Podcast is up. Go listen online. Know what that's all about. But he doesn't stop with that. He continues to teach about prayer. So look at Luke 11, 5. We'll have it on the screen for you. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Jesus was the master teacher, and he used stories a lot to communicate. He would use questions and stories to communicate. I try to do that some. I'm not the best at it, but I try to give you some questions. I try to give you some stories. Jesus used a perfect story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow Three loaves of bread. "'You say to him, "'A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, "'and I have nothing for him to eat. "'And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, "'Don't bother me. "'The door is locked for the night, "'and my family and I are all in bed. "'I can't help you. "'But I tell you this, "'though he won't do it for friendship's sake, "'if you keep knocking long enough, "'he will get up and give you whatever you need "'because of your shameless persistence.'" (laughs) And so I tell you, Jesus says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Everyone say opened. One, three, one, two, three. To teach them, Jesus says, here's a story of a man who has an unexpected visitor. He wants, the man wants to be a good host. He wants to feed him, but he didn't have enough food. So he asks his friend for some. His friend's already in bed, though. That's kind of problematic. But the friend is doing what most normal people would do at midnight, snoozing. Especially in a day and an age when it, it, the electricity was not there and you would work by the sun. Sun's out, fun's out. <laughs> Bun's out, something like that. You would play. No, you wouldn't work. And then the sun goes away, and you go to bed. And so this is sleeping time. And so this is a pretty inconvenient ask, along with the fact that the whole family is going to be, there's not separate bedrooms for the most part. It's like, hey, are we all in this house together? So this, this person is going to have to wake up everyone to go get these loaves of bread. And the fact that he wanted three loaves of bread is key because that was enough to feed a large family. It seemed like there was one guess. It's an excessive request at the most inopportune time. That's what we're getting from this story. Yet Jesus said in verse 8, I tell you this, though, he won't do it for his friendship's sake. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. This makes me laugh. I mean, basically what Jesus is saying, you aren't going to get what you wanted because you had a virtuous need, but because you nagged. I don't know how my kids know Scripture, especially my daughter, but somehow she's just like, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to nag till I get what I want. Right, Izzy? Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works. And sometimes it works. But what I do find interesting is that this nagging was not for himself. It was actually on behalf of another. Don't miss that. This was for someone else's need And the answer was going to come through persistence. And Jesus says, here's the moral of the story. You ask, you seek, you knock. And when you do, you will receive, you will find, you will have the door opened. Ask, seek, and knock are in the Greek imperfect tense, which means that these words refer to something you do repeatedly. It's not enough just to ask once. You got to keep asking. Got to keep seeking. Got to keep knocking. Now, Why? Let me give you the best scholarly answer I have. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it has to do with the relationship. I'm sure it has to do, are we serious? But it would be easy to throw this away and say, well, this is a one-time teaching. Jesus said this was just a parable that, that Jesus used, and it, we can go on and not really put it into practice. But Jesus says something even Eerily similar in Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show, what's he trying to communicate? That they should always pray and never give up. That's what we're trying to do in this series. Verse 2, here's the story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. We don't even need to know what the situation is. But there's justice that needs to happen. Verse 4, the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. That's the type of person Jesus is communicating this is. But this woman is driving me crazy. It might have been a short drive for him. We don't know. But what we know is... Is that this term driving me crazy is like it's like being weakened, like in a boxing match. She's been hit over and over again, repeatedly been requested to step into a situation. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Definitely a woman, right? <laughs> Verse six. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Jesus is saying, even an unrighteous judge will answer because of persistent asking. So, of course, our righteous, compassionate judge will, if we come to him, persistently, repeatedly, day and night, crying out to him. So maybe, just maybe, we aren't experiencing more of God's power because we aren't that persistent in our praying. All jokes aside, you better let that sink in. Maybe, just maybe, we aren't experiencing more of his power More of his favor, more of this intimacy with God, because we aren't that persistent in our praying. There's a better chance than not, maybe why God is not moving in your personal life or in your family, because you're not seeking him repeatedly, begging for him to move in your midst. Now that's pretty personal. Let's take it collectively. Maybe, just maybe, we're not seeing God do a mighty movement yet in and through EC because we're not persistently praying. Will you help me? Will you help us? And let's get on our knees and beg God to grow us, to triple us by the end of April, to see the lost found, to see people baptized in this pool over here. Would you beg of God? Would you pray? Listen, I want you to pray for your family. I want you to pray for your your own relationship with the Lord. But collectively, let's bring it in. We got to beg God to move in and through everyday church. Of course, I know what the skeptic is thinking because I can be the skeptic. What about the times I prayed and, and he didn't answer? It didn't play out how you wanted? Ultimately, as we close our prayer with amen, which is a form of truth, we're saying, so be it. Not a woman, it is amen. By the way, which is a Hebrew term. It has nothing to do with masculinity. It comes from truth. So be it. it, it may your will be done. In essence, is what we're saying. So be it. God, your, your truth we submit to. In the name of Jesus. And so, of course, we we, we pray laying it all at his feet, saying, okay, we bow to you with our posture. We're, we're in the right place with the right motive. And we're, gonna, we're not going to worry about the phrasing and manipulation. We're just going to be aware of our presence or of our prayer in your presence. And we're going to be persistent in it. And all of that, though, we lay it down at your feet and say, your will be done. Jesus had to pray that right in the garden. Man, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But ultimately, your will be done. So we pray that way. Persistently we pray that way. Your will be done. What we need to do is to seek to understand what heaven wants. Through the word of God and the spirit of God. And when we ask those things in faith, heaven moves. The combination of his will and our faith produces a new reality on earth. Book it. Write it down. It's his will and we're persistent, and it's our faith, there will be a new reality. And so we must believe that he hears, we must believe that he can answer, and we must believe in him. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, I want to read to you. There's, there's, There's some sad ones. This one's up there. See, if you don't really believe God can do something, if you don't really believe God can work, if you don't really believe in prayer, you're not going to see it happen. Matthew thirteen fifty eight, the he here is Jesus. And so he, Jesus, did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. In his own hometown, people had a tough time believing in Jesus. They saw him when he was younger. They saw him growing up. Had a hard time believing he was the son of God. And so the supernatural power of God was squelched because of their lack of faith. Because of their unbelief. Maybe we need to be like the man who said, I believe, but help me, help me overcome my unbelief. I'm like that sometimes with God. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm, I'm there, but I know I need to believe even more. Pray that today. I believe, God, but help me overcome my unbelief. I don't want it to be said for our church, for our family, for our community, that, that we didn't believe enough. For God to do a work. Some of you have been around a long time. And I think some of you quit believing God could do a work in everyday church. You say, I would never say that. Well, your prayer life does. You've stuck with us because you're loyal. You're a golden retriever. And let me tell you, I love you and golden retrievers. And I love you because you're a golden retriever. But I need some warriors right now. I need some pit bulls. Or as my daughter calls them, pet bulls. Thank you, Isaac. It is funny. She calls them pet I I need some go-getters. And we need to believe. And we need to beg God to move. Persistently knock on that door. We need to ask, seek, and knock. And so, church, let's believe. Let's not let it be said or written of us. He only did a few miracles there. Because of their unbelief. Let it be said, those, those crazy people had crazy faith and God did miracles amongst them. You with me? You with me? This week, increase your prayer life. Get on your knees, carve out time, find that place, be aware and be engaged in prayer. And be persistent, and let's go to Him. Let's seek Him with all we got. Let's go ask, let's go seek, and let's go knock. Let's pray. We ask, seek, knock right now, Father God, that you would do miracles in our midst, not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of the Father, for the glory of the Holy Spirit. This is not about us. It's not about our name. It's all about you. And so, Father God, we beg of you to anoint us, empower us. We are already a sent people. May we live sent. May we step out into the mission you've given us. I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that people sense and see something different of us. Not so we can get any attaboys out of it but so that we can please and glorify you because we bow to you and submit to you. You are our God. You are our authority. May we be bold for you. Fill us with boldness. May we not be timid sheep. May we be bold as lions. Of course, may we be seasoned with grace. But may we step into these divine appointments that have already been set before us. The jobs that we have the connections and friends, the neighborhoods, the families that we're already in. May we seize these opportunities to be a bright light in a very dark world. You have blessed us. May we not hoard our blessings. May we bless others. You have changed our lives. May we not hoard that. May we help be the hands and feet of you that you would change the lives of others. God, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We trust you. Triple us, God. We beg of you to triple us by the end of April or before or even quadruple us. However you want to do it, God, grow us. And we, would, we pray that that growth would be a result of people coming to know you, putting their faith and trust in you, crossing over from death to life, becoming new believers, new creations, and that they would also follow through in obedience with baptism. Like you did in Acts and do a work in our midst. I'm begging you, God. I'm begging you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. May it be. It's true. It's true. It's true. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you if there's anything going on that has happened during this message if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.